you know, the same data can be presented in multiple different ways. It doesn't matter. It's not about the data. It's about what's the question I'm trying to answer. Am I looking for an opportunity or am I afraid of a risk? This is Data Masters, and I'm Anthony Dayton, Chief Product Officer at Tamer. My guest today is Kathleen Maley, a leading thinker in the area of analytics and data strategy. Most recently, Kathleen was the head of consumer and digital analytics at KeyBank, where she led a large team of analysts supporting the bank in making data-driven decisions. Before that, she spent more than 11 years at Bank of America in a variety of roles that helped the bank use data as a core asset in areas such as risk management and pricing. Some topics we'll discuss today include how analytics and business teams can work effectively together, the importance of language for analysts as they engage questions around data, and what she's learned as a female leader in analytics. Kathleen, welcome to Data Masters. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So maybe to start us off and maybe by way of introduction for the audience, maybe you could share a bit about your background uh, and experience in sort of moving from being a statistician to a model developer and then as an uh, analytics leader. Hmm. Yeah, and I'm actually going to back up one step if that's okay, because I think my first career has actually been very, very useful as I've made that journey from statistician to analytics leader. I was a teacher. And what I've discovered is that so much of what I do now is about teaching, communicating, uh, meeting people where they are so that they can uh, receive the benefit of what I do. So, uh, yeah, I decided after teaching for a number of years that I wanted to um, go back to graduate school. I earned a master's degree in applied statistics, decided I wanted to do something with it. I was invited by Bank of America to, to join, started in model development, um, and thought that was the cat's pajamas. I was later asked, I was bribed really, <laughs> <laughs> to take a job in model risk control. Uh, and I, I said yes, because it was going to be my first executive level position. Uh, so Kathleen, I, uh, I really love this idea of uh, moving from sort of educator to practitioner to, to sort of the, the, the work of doing. And now in a way, you're kind of moving back uh, to educating, to bringing this knowledge you've gained back to the industry. Would that be fair? That is exactly right. And I see it in sort of two streams. Uh and what I learned first is that we analysts leave school not having a clue how to be useful. We know our algorithms. Hopefully, we know some basic statistics. I personally, as a statistician, think that's very important. Uh, we know some programming. We know how to, to get to our data, manipulate it, create some views that help us understand it. But we don't know how to be useful. Uh, my entire job is supporting the objectives of a business leader. How do I learn his strategy? How do I engage with him using language that is familiar and comfortable to him? How do I approach him in a way that is inviting instead of in a way that might put him on the defense? Um, those are all really important things for doing this job that nobody ever teaches us. Um, also, sort of what's the point of the job? The point of the job isn't to create charts. The point of the job isn't to create a model. 
The point of the job is to teach my business leader something about their business they thought they knew, but maybe didn't have quite right. It is to give them a tool that allows them to make the same decision over and over in an automated yet safe way. Um, it is to give them tools that answer the, the questions, the same questions they'll have over and over. It's never about a dashboard. It's about answering a question. It's never about what's interesting to see. It's about what's useful to know. How do I reorient my thinking around that purpose? So that's the first sort of stream of work, training my analysts how to be useful. Yeah. What I've discovered in the last few years is actually there's just as much work on the side of the business. Um, do they know that that's my job or do they think my job is just to get the data? When I've given them this, a solution, an algorithm that needs to be implemented so they can leverage that algorithm, is there a set of expectations that goes with that, that actually the work they have to do, the change management, the adoption, is actually much more than what I had to do to build the algorithm? And do they know what some of those key milestones are? So it is just as much about teaching my analysts how to be useful as it is teaching the business how to leverage this really special asset that they have. Um, and, and, you know, that's something I've been working on in particular in the last few years. Yeah, this reminds me, um, uh, many years ago, I had the, the pleasure of dining at a, re a very famous restaurant in Chicago called Charlie Trotter's. And actually, in a slight weird turn of events, met, met Charlie Trotter himself. Uh, and he said uh, something that's always stuck with me. He said, I know more about food than you do. And my job as a restaurateur is to have you, is to provide for you an amazing dining experience, right? So, and it's, it's his way of sort of uh, saying what you're saying, which is, you know more about this than the business leader does, but it's your, your job to guide the business leader through the process, sort of to be almost like a Sherpa on this journey uh, of understanding their data and making better decisions with it. Yes, but I'm going to extend your story there. If I absolutely cannot stand chicken, he might convince me to give it a try. But if I really don't like chicken and what I really want is steak, and I make it really clear that what I want is steak and he brings out chicken, I may not like that dish. Absolutely. And so he's got to work with me. If I want chicken, if chicken is what matters, give me chicken. But if I want steak, give me steak. And so again, it goes back to, I support the objectives of my business leader. I don't tell my business leader that his, his objectives should be other than they are. Exactly. There's more to that story when you talk about influence and, and what I'm seeing in the data that he may not. But yes, I know absolutely the data better than my business partner ever will. He or she will always know better what they're trying to accomplish with it. So we often hear this framed, uh, you know, when a business leader comes to an analytics team and will say, uh, can you get me data on this? You know, can you get me data mm -hmm. on sales? Or I need, I really need the data about, you know, what's happening in the Southeast region. Um, but you have some really specific steps and really specific ideas about how uh, an analytics team can respond to that. You know, that's the 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 the, the person at, at the restaurant saying, "I want a hamburger." Yes. Right. Saying, "Give me the thing I, I desire," as opposed to uh, 
here's I'm hungry and I really like these kinds of food, right? But maybe help um, with you know what are the steps that you suggest for an analyst team to address those kinds of questions? Yeah. Um, so the first thing is, no matter what my business partner tells me, and I, I I have this conversation with the analysts who work for me, no matter what my business partner asks for, I literally interpret it in my mind as an invitation to help. I don't care what they say. What I hear is, Kathleen, I need your help with something. And so when I hear, Kathleen, I need your help with something, what I'm able to ask then is, help me understand what you're trying to achieve so I can better meet your need. And when I'm working with a new analyst, when I've taken over teams or when I'm building teams, um, one of the first things I say is when your business partner comes to you and says, hey, Kathleen, can you get me this data? Because by the way, this is not a criticism on them. Most analytics teams have trained them that that's what they're supposed to ask for. They're supposed to ask for the data. Um, doesn't work as well, but that's what they've been trained to do. So they come and they say, hey, I need this data. I'm not allowed to say yes no matter what. <laughs> if you have to pretend that you are losing connection on your phone and hang up on them, I would rather you do that than say yes. You absolutely cannot say yes. But you also can't say no. And these, you know, these poor analysts will look at me like, Kathleen, you're asking the impossible. I'm not allowed to say yes. I'm not allowed to say no. What else is there? Well, help me understand what you're trying to achieve so I can better meet your needs. It's an invitation to a dialogue. Um, I also, because this is sometimes again about changing muscle memory. If my job is to, if I believe my job is to say, okay, what data do you want? How do you want it cut over what time period? Do you need a trend? Is a snapshot? Okay. Um, then those are the questions I'm going to ask. If I'm now being asked to understand business strategy, if I'm now being asked to respond, help me understand what you're trying to achieve so I can better meet your needs. I need a different set of questions to follow that up with. So the new set of questions isn't about the data. The new set of questions is about what this individual, this business leader is thinking. Are you worried about something? Do you have a hypothesis? Was there a debate about something? Did you see a new piece of data that doesn't appear to align? It's all about getting into their head. And then it's about, in some cases, checking where we would go. What would you be able to do with this? If I provided you this, would it be useful? Um, how would it be useful? It's all about uncovering what they're thinking um, and where they will go with it so that I can really go along that journey with them. Yeah, what I think is really powerful about that is the idea of doing that right up front at the beginning, creating that goal alignment even before you begin doing data extracts and, uh, you know, and trying to uh, manipulate the data into a good place. Oh, absolutely. Because how will I know what data I need to pull together or even how to pull it together? You know, the same data can be presented in multiple different ways. It doesn't matter. It's not about the data. It's about what's the question I'm trying to answer. Am I looking for an opportunity or am I afraid of a risk? Uh, and that tells me, do I worry more about false positives or do I worry more about false negatives? It's exactly the same data. But how do I orient the question? Um, uh, sorry, how do I orient my data, which, which is what I use to create an answer around the question that really matters? Right. So creating that goal alignment up front and then 
really being crisp and clear on the business questions, which then lead you to maybe the data questions and, and frankly, the challenge and hard work of, you know, collecting that data, bringing it together, finding ways to, you know, to uh, clean it and, and present it in a way uh, to address that question. Maybe that's a good segue to this question of language, because one of the things that strikes me as you talk about this is you're really talking, you're, you're talking more like uh, an English professor than a, status, a statistical professor, meaning the language of this is so important. It's so important to, to ask questions in the right way and ask the right questions. And maybe you could share a little bit more about um, the, the language of it. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And I, you, you're right. I believe very, very strongly in, in the language for a number of reasons. There's some psychology to it. So am I putting my business partner at ease? Am I making it really, really clear to my business partner that, you know, she still owns her strategy. I am not here to challenge her strategy. I am here to understand. And then to provide ways of helping that individual shoot higher and get there faster. It's so important that my team feel at ease, that they know I've done the job, um, that they know I know what I'm talking about. But I think more than anything, the importance of language isn't about the language itself. It's about the thinking that is involved. I, I you know, we, we represent thinking through language. For example, I, I, I've moved away from the phrase data-driven, data-driven strategy, data-driven culture. It's not data-driven. It's business-driven. Um, we're using data to support that business, but it's still business-driven. It is about the outcome. If I spend all of my energy talking about the algorithm I created, um, then we still have no idea what we get for it. Yeah, so I think that's a... That's totally fascinating. This idea of because everybody talks about this, you know, the data-driven enterprise. Uh, and your point, which I think is spot on, is actually thinking about maybe a strategy-driven enterprise that uses data to support the business decisions that you're making. Absolutely, absolutely, so absolutely. Maybe yeah. um, just in in the spirit of making this really practical for people, are there examples from your past that? Shed, uh, shed a light on this? Um, I, my favorite is, is the one I've shared, right? Help me understand what you are trying to achieve so I can better meet your needs. Um, I think the, the other is I do not, I intentionally do not use uh, the phrase analytics initiative. There is no such thing as an analytics initiative. There's only a business initiative. And I've encountered this problem when we talk about an analytics initiative, well, when the analytics are done, isn't the initiative done? Isn't the work over? And I've had business partners look at me and say, thanks for the algorithm, Kathleen, but now what? All you've done is create a bunch of work for me. Now I need to change my strategy. I need to write new scripts. I need to train my sales center to do something different. Thanks a lot. And it's, an, it's you know, it, it, it it's... um. It's a psychological hurdle that doesn't need to be created. It's not an analytics initiative. And you're definitely not going to be done when the algorithm is done. It's a business initiative. You want to change the way your call center operates. Okay. 
I can do some exploratory analytics up front to tell you where your risks are and where your opportunities are. I can create an algorithm that routes calls differently. But at the end of the day, it's still a call center strategy. And there's a lot of work involved in implementing a new call center strategy. So the initiative is, is end-to-end. And I think, again, it's this unconscious, subconscious, psychological hurdles we create when we talk too much about the data as the solution. The data is an enabler, but right. it is the data is, the data is just the beginning of solving the problem. It's not the solution uh, That's in right. and of itself. That's right. And so reorienting, again, the way people think about this, setting an expectation. I believe in being explicit. Now, I'm sure that's part of just because of the way my brain works. But when I enter a new organization, I tell my team, look, this is where you are today. This is how we're going to do it differently. And this is what it's going to feel like. I talk to the business leaders we support and I say, my team is going to come to you with a different set of questions. Please be prepared for that. Here's why we're doing it. Here's where it's going to get us. You know, it's, it makes, it takes it out of the subconscious, puts it into the conscious language allows us to do that. Yeah. It makes it uh, really explicit as opposed to implicit and, and therefore uh, in the front of people's minds. Now you've also spoken a lot about, because we've talked so far really about the sort of upfront piece where mm-hmm. we're getting goal alignment we're understanding the business problem that we want to address. Uh, and in the back of every analyst's mind, of course, they're thinking about algorithms and techniques mm-hmm. and data and how to you know, put things together. But then there's the, uh, the section of the project, as it were, where mm-hmm. you're presenting conclusions and results and answers to those important questions. So assume we've gotten goal alignment and now we're giving, uh, presenting back uh, answers. Of course, the tool of choice here is PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've also spoken a lot about... Um, mistakes and uh, and ways that people could do a better job of presenting results. Maybe you could share some of that. Yeah. <laughs> so analysts are trained in school to demonstrate their process as a way of um, proving, if you will, supporting the validity of what they've done and, and the data they've ended up with. That's what they're trained to do. Completely useless in the business environment. So, um, you know, what I prefer, I I tell my team, look, first is know your audience, which is, am I proving the validity of my work to another analyst? In which case I'm going to want to go through my process. What was my sample? How did I select it? You know, what was some of the um, techniques I used to analyze it? You know, what's my P value maybe. Um, But a business partner doesn't care about that, nor should they. I don't want them wasting their time. Um, if I'm doing my job well, if I'm a qualified analyst, then they, they shouldn't need to. What they're really worried about is what was the question I asked and what was the answer? So I asked my teams literally to work backwards. So think about everything that you had to do. The first thing is, you know, your question. If you're bringing me a set of slides and I say, what is the business trying to do? And you cannot answer it. You need to go back to the beginning. First thing is, what's the question? Go through your process. That's the process you had to go through. It's all relevant. It's all really, really hard, and it takes a long time. But now you have an answer. And what your business partner cares about is the answer. So you have to start with the answer. What is the so what? Why does it matter? Um, We hear that a lot, but this idea of sort of putting literally work in reverse order. Then, and this is the other really critical piece, only include the data that is relevant to your answer. 
you will have done as an analyst a ton of stuff. You will have looked at a ton of stuff, none of which matters to the answer. Only include those pieces of information that are actually relevant to the answer. Um, I'm a big fan of one slide. If I cannot get my story down on one slide, I might not know the question or I might have not actually drawn a conclusion. Analysts are also not taught how to draw a conclusion. We're taught to produce data, which is not the same thing as studying data and drawing a conclusion. Analytics is not a noun. Analytics is a verb. It is the studying of data to create information. Um, so if I can't draw a conclusion, I can't say what's the so what. I can't say what's the headline. Um, and I also want to know, how do I know if my work was well received? How do I know if I did a good job? If we're spending an hour talking about the analysis, I've not done a good job. If we spend five minutes talking about what's the conclusion and the rest of the meeting are business leaders engaged in where do we go from here, what's next, then I know I've done a great job, a great job, because they're not talking about my work. They're talking about the conclusion and what it means for their business. So knowing also what are those signals that tell me I've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I think this is uh, brilliant. And I think it also comes back to this idea that, it, you know, in a in an engagement with a business leader, you might have, you know, three months of work and you may look through, you know, hundreds of different data sets. And the result may be, uh, you know, the conclusion is, uh, is actually quite simple and may mm -hmm. only involve one or two of the data sets that you evaluated. But because we work so hard on it, we want to sort of justify our, our existence. We want to show here's all the things I did. <laughs> you know, here's how much work this took. Uh, and to your point, business leaders don't care, nor should they. Right. Or, and I wonder sometimes, I'm sure that's the case sometimes, um, that I want to show my work and it was so hard and I want to get kudos. Well, I can do that. That's my job as an analytics leader. Um, I wonder if at times it's, gosh, I'm really not sure what the answer is. So I'm just going to throw it against the wall. This is what they asked to see. I think defining the question is the most important step in the process. Because if, if I don't define that, I really don't, I can't draw a conclusion. And now I am just going to overload. Well, this is interesting. This might mean something. This could be, you know, and it just becomes this soup, this soup of charts and tables. Right. Which just goes back to where we started, which yep. is if you framed the question as I need this data versus right. I have a question about my business that needs addressing, then if the conclusion is, here's a bunch of data yeah. <laughs> presented beautifully, uh, is in fact, uh, you've answered the question. So to your point about beginning the process with um, a goal alignment around the business problem, that in a way forces the conclusion to be a business conclusion. Yes, yes. And if I know what question I'm answering, I'm going to know what information is relevant. It actually, it's it in a, in some ways, it solves that secondary problem. Yeah. Again, going back to this idea that mm -hmm. the goal alignment up front is the key piece. Yeah. So uh, we've talked a lot about the job of the analyst and their mm -hmm. responsibility in this conversation. But the nature of a conversation is that it's a two way street. Yes. What responsibility do you put on the uh, business leader? Uh, and and maybe uh, related, and we can maybe talk about this afterwards, but uh, 
the chief data officer inside an organization? How does their role changing in this? But maybe let's start with uh, those business leaders. Again, what responsibility do they have in these conversations? Yeah. Well, the first thing, um, it, it, it is a responsibility. I don't generally think of it that way or phrase it quite that way, right? Because everything is about um, not me making demands, but me offering a very, very valuable, scarce resource to these leaders. And so it becomes a conversation about if we want to maximize return on investment, my team generally speaking, has a lot of growing to do. Uh, They're going to have to change the way they operate. Um, This is what it's going to look like. And the part I need you to play to help us get there looks like this. And that's going to be, so it's, again, it's always sort of an invitation, this idea of of language and and emotional intelligence, if you will, which I think is incredibly important for a job like this. It's all about relationships. Uh, And so first is, again, explicit. I'm not going to make them guess at anything. I literally have a one pager um, that takes leaders through, look, this is kind of where we are today. Does this make sense? Everybody's frustrated on both sides. You're not getting the return on investment. Um, You want your your analytics to be proactive, everything takes too long. And that's usually, yes, that's usually the starting point. Well, here are the stages. Here's what it's going to look like as we go through. And you can see in the early days, there's a lot of emphasis on me asking my analysts to operate differently. But guess what, business partner, at step two, at step three, this is where you're going to start to feel some differences. I'm going to ask that we have a strategy session. I'm going to ask that you start to include these team members as parts of your team. I believe in a, in a, a centralized but fully dedicated model, uh, which means that I care for the analyst's career. I, I care for the analyst's um, uh, hard skills and soft skills, and um, but they don't work for me. Uh, they work for the business. And so this fully dedicated model allows them to develop deep uh, domain experience and, and knowledge. They know the business strategy, you know, and so they need to be part of the team. They need to be in team meetings. They need to be part of the conversation. They need to, you know, when there is a, an initiative, a project being kicked off, you would have all the key members of your team. That's going to include your analysts. So I, I talked to them about what this process is going to feel like. I talked to them about how things will be changing for the analysts themselves and that they're going to be trying new things. I talked to them about if this is going to work, if we're really going to be able to provide value for you, you got to include us as team members. You got to open up your strategy. You got to be prepared when my analyst for the first time says, tell me what you're going to do with this. It's going to feel like a challenge because they're still learning how to say, help me understand what you're trying to achieve so I can better meet your needs. But rest assured, that's what they're trying to do. Um, Be open. Be ready for something that's different. Call me if you ever have a concern. Don't let it wait for three months. Uh, And meet with me. Be open. This is a transformation. This is a change. It's not going to be perfect from day one. So, um, you know, it's this, uh, there's a new phrase that's been coined, servant leader. This is how I approach the job. And I, everything, everything, everything has to be in the context of, look, I want to help you aim higher and get there faster. Let me be your user guide. Don't touch my power tools. You don't need to run the 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 um, the power tools. I'll run the power tools, but you direct me to the right projects in the right way. 
Yeah. So it's a, about moving from being sort of a service bureau uh, to a business partner and yeah. really putting that partnership up front. Exactly. And, and you know what? Putting it in that context, they have an HR partner. They have a finance partner. It, this isn't different from that. That's, that's actually a great point. And, and relating this back to uh, the chief data officer kind of role within an organization, how do you see that changing uh, in the spirit of exactly what you said, uh, of creating this kind of leadership level position around data and uh, business strategy? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, um, this is a, this is such a tough one because chief data officers don't agree on what the job is. And so if we who do the work don't have a standard set of language and don't agree on what the job is and don't agree on how to approach the job, uh, what hope do our business partners have? So that's the first thing. I'll, I'll give you my opinion. I'll give you my yeah. opinion on this. Um, but that's the first thing. I'm very sensitive to the fact that there is just not, this is not a settled space yet. We are still figuring it out. Um, but I, I think of a couple of things. First of all, you know, I, I a chief data officer has different responsibilities and should have different responsibilities from a chief analytics officer. Most organizations, many organizations, I should say, have made it the distance to chief data officer. And again, if we who do this work don't agree on definitions, how does how is there hope for anybody else? Uh I don't think of it as the business side, the analytics side. I think of it as a three-legged stool. A chief data officer is typically about data quality, data management, data accessibility, very, very critical stuff. Many chief data officers are now moving into the space of analytics, but often that looks like we're going to do some automated dashboards. We're going to do some automated analytics I don't think there's any such thing. That's another conversation. Um, for those who really and truly have a blended role, meaning they're thinking about data and they're thinking about analytics, those are two very, very big jobs. Um, but but the the I think at that level and the strategy at that level is how do we actually make it work? How do we coordinate around all of these different business strategies? What if we have business units that operate in silos, but we as a centralized function see efficiencies that reach across? Um, this is actually one of my favorite things about the job. I sit in the middle, everybody needs data, and I have very, very clear line of sight into um, competing business priorities all the time. So part of my job is to bring these leaders together and just make them aware that it's time to have a conversation. That is. Uh, part of the role, I think, of a very effective chief data slash chief analytics officer. Um, we are that central point. We see everything that's happening. We've got to echo that back. My focus can never be about the things that I want to do. My focus always has to be about what is the best for the business? Where are these business leaders helping or headed? And how do I help them do that? That means I cannot have my own agenda. And I've seen both. I've seen analytics leaders, chief data officers who um, are really comfortable with this idea of, of, you know, helping others meet their goals by aiming higher and getting there faster. Um, but, uh, but there is just as often this dynamic that, oh, the chief data officer has his or her own independent agenda. And I think that is where things start to break down. It's, it's got to be always about 
what is the business trying to achieve and how do I help them do that? Got it. And I mean, maybe to really put a fine point on it, it, would you agree with the assertion that a chief data officer ought to manage both things like data quality and data availability, but also the analysis and uh, meaning making out of that data, uh, really combining in a sense, this chief data officer and chief analytic officer role? Uh, I think in a smaller organization, it's absolutely a necessity. And you will probably have to have one person with that shared responsibility. And that's really tough. And then each organization has to know for themselves, is our bigger problem right now the fact that our data is a mess and we need somebody really who understands the technology um, and the strategy for around data and data management? Or do we have enough control of our data and now we're transitioning into now we want to monetize on it? Uh, and then you probably need somebody who is more experienced in data usage, creating information and meeting through data. They're very, very, very different skill sets, typically different personalities that come uh, to those jobs as well. Uh, and so it is every every organization has to decide that for themselves. For larger organizations, I do think it is time to start thinking about the difference between a chief data officer and a chief analytics officer and move beyond the two-sided coin and start thinking about the three-legged stool. We need good data, we need good analytics, and we need the business leaders to have the right partners in those positions so that they can um, shoot higher and get there faster. Great. So um, shifting gears slightly, uh, a lot of what we've talked about and what you've sort of spoken about is the role of analysts in the context of the decision-making process, the business decision-making process. I'm curious if you find this is more challenging for women because they're often the minority in analyst roles or potentially in leadership roles. Um, And I'm sure you've learned some very practical experience as a, a female leader in this space. And maybe you could share some of that. Yeah, you know, this is, it's a timely question. It's a difficult question because, of course, I don't know what it's like to not be a woman in analytics because um, each of us only gets one shot. You know? <laughs> I can't go back and run the experiment as a male. Um, but, um, you know, I'll talk about things that are maybe not directly related to my role as an analyst and just what it means to be a woman in leadership, a woman in corporate, you know, I've had the experience where, um, I've been shushed in a meeting, literally shushed with a finger. I've had the experience where one of my business partners repeatedly referred to me as my dear. I've had the experience where a very senior executive was, was looking hard, you know, down the V neck of my blouse, talking to me about how much he appreciates the necklace I chose to wear to, to wear. I've had those experiences. I've had the experience where I was told I needed to demonstrate more thought leadership. And then I was told that I wasn't needed in a strategy meeting, that they would come and tell me what I needed to do when it was settled. I've been told I could go and talk to, you know, I I made a, a change on my team that needed to be communicated. And I said, this change needs to be communicated. And the answer was, okay, you tell that executive over there, but I will tell this executive over here you know, uh, this split down the, the line between, I, I was essentially told I could tell the female executives, but not the male executives. Um, those sorts of things happen, but I don't think it's unique to analytics. 
my experience in analytics, I think I've had a bit of a leg up. My mother was a math teacher. Math was just a thing that we did. My undergraduate degree is in math. I went to a woman's college uh, and I walked into my first calculus class. I didn't think I would major in math. Uh, and so I, I, but I had a, um, you know, math requirement. So I walk into my first calculus class. Uh, there were 48 other women and myself with a female professor, Mary Louise Cookson. There was one man in the class because he went to a college down the road and it fit in his schedule a little better. And I walked in that room and it was the first time in my life I was surrounded by other women who were doing this thing. And I, I, I'd had some trouble with calculus in high school. In hindsight, there were other reasons for that. But I, I, so I was retaking it because um, I thought it would be an easy way to get my credit. And I walked in and I thought, wait a minute, why couldn't I do this? And that was it. I mean, three months later, as a freshman in, high, in uh, college, I knew what my major was going to be. Um, my very favorite professor, um, Helen Grunman, uh, you know, taught me number theory and abstract algebra. And she is still a mentor. She's phenomenal. She's part of the reason I went to University of Michigan for my um, degree in applied stats. So I have had very, very good role models and, and very, very supportive role models. However, I was asked to attend a conference not too long ago and I looked at the marketing materials. It was all white males. So, you know, I'm fortunate that I'm bold. I'm confident. Um, I'm willing. I'm willing to swim upstream for the things that are important to me. Sometimes it can get tiring to have to swim upstream. Um, I remember a, a male executive saying about his all-white male leadership team that he thought diversity was important, not at that level, but at lower levels. And, you know, he wanted to see the, the next generation trained for those positions of leadership. And I wondered, you know, what was wrong with my generation? So, you know, it's this, it's, it's a tough, tough place because there's no good way to talk about gender differences. A woman who mentions them is a complainer, can't handle it. A woman who doesn't mention it or keeps it inside, you know, continues to reinforce the dynamic that exists. You know, it, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I will say I have had men support me throughout my career in a phenomenal way. I think the, the men who have been most supportive are the men who've been willing to engage in the conversation and not, you know, dismiss it. You know, if I've presented a scenario, is he willing to say, huh, I'm going to think about that. He may not draw the same conclusion. But at least he's able to step out of his own experience and begin to see this experience from my perspective, to at least acknowledge the reality of it, the differences of it. Um, you know, because it happens when I was shushed in that meeting, I was the only woman in the room. There were 
you know, 20 men, no one even, there was one other person who noticed and, and he came to me after he said, I, I can't believe that I've never seen anything like that in my life. Because again, as a, as a woman in this position, I question sometimes like, was that just, was that just something that happened? Was that just him? Was that because I was a woman? Would he have done that to a man? You know? And so in that case, it was actually, it was, it was so helpful when this man came to me after to say, I can't believe I just saw that. What are you going to do? And he said, I, I wanted to say something so bad, but I, I know you and I know you're going to handle this in, in the way that's best for you. You know, that was, it was so helpful. It was so helpful. So, you know, I think it's most men are not misogynists, but very, very few men have walked in a woman's shoes. And so are they, are they willing to try and experience that for a little while? Are, are they open enough to hear and, and to think differently and, and to make different decisions to, to look and say, okay, you know, if we only have white males, is there something we can do to change that? Um, because we know as statisticians that when your data has no variability, you cannot do anything with it. We depend on variability in our data. And yet we see leadership structures that are totally homogeneous. So those two truths, you know, again, as an analyst, as somebody who, who really relies on logic, those two truths are counter to each other. How is it that variability in data is incredibly valuable? And yet we don't see variability in our leadership uh, frameworks. So I, I, yeah, that, I think that's fascinating. Just to draw these two uh, worlds together for a second, you make very clear this idea of being explicit about both the language and questioning model for an analyst and a business leader. I, I think the part of what you're saying here, which I think is very valuable, is to be explicit and create language around discussing uh, you know, gender roles in leadership positions, but also how it affects the, the, the role of the analyst. And to your point about being uh, shushed in a meeting, it's, that's exactly wrong, right? That's exactly what uh, leadership needs to, uh, to create a framework in which that is not permissible mm. so that all those voices can be heard. You can create that variance in opinion and, and, and debate which ends up making better business decisions. And I think it's really, really important to not just say you're bad because you did that. I think it's really, really important to begin to expose good people to, to behaviors that when they step back and view it from the outside, they think, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that I did that. I don't I don't like that I think that way. Oh my gosh, yes, I, I do see how I'm participating in this. It's not about bad people versus good people. It's about a very, very narrow um, perspective and experience that happens to be in the majority and hold the power um, and making a deliberate choice for these good people to say, wait a minute. Um, we've got to think differently about this. And, and to your point, we've got to make it explicit. It's not good versus bad. These are a lot of otherwise good people who just haven't lived my experience. With that, 
Kathleen, thank you so much for your uh, time and your uh, and this thoughtful conversation. Uh, I hope uh, everybody has been able to take away a, a number of nuggets from from our time together. And with that, uh, I thank you for joining us on uh, Data Masters. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate the conversation. And I hope that your audience, that your listeners are able to take something away. That's as a teacher, that's always what I hope for. <laughs>